0: God's holy word. Uh, you know what? The book of Luke is not the book of Acts. Am I right with that? Okay. 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derby, to Lystra, to a disciple that was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers who were in Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted this man to go with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were with him in those parts. They all knew his father was a Greek. (coughs) While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. After they came to Mysha, they were trying to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Passing by Misha, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are a God, we are your dependent creatures, you, O God, are our creator, sustainer, and our redeemer, and we are your beloved children who desire to love you and worship you in spirit and in truth. Have mercy upon me, holy God, in the preaching of your word, who is sufficient for these things, no one, in and of themselves. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would constrain me by your Holy Spirit, that I would speak the words of this scriptures, the words of this text, and that any sinfulness or foolishness would be kept out of my mind and thus my mouth, and that all of us as your people would be conformed into your image, O Christ, by the application of the word, by you, Holy Spirit. Um, We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This was the original sermon I wanted to preach from this passage three weeks ago. And then I ended up finding... The Bible is like an onion. Um, To me it is, at least. You peel and peel and you find more and you find more. And um, maybe 20 years ago, I would have to take... I've been here 22 years... 22 years ago i would have to take massive portions of scripture from my sermon text because i could only find this much i was younger in the faith and then the longer you walk with the lord and you read the lord's word and you grow in the lord the more that you find in the bible and this is true not just for ministers isn't it the case for you as a believer that what you you could have read a passage when you were 10 and then at 15 you said well you read the same passage well I, See this? Then at 25 and 35 and 65, it nev- we never plumb the depths of the word of God. It's always new. It's always refreshing. And God, the Holy Spirit's always free to show us something. I, I never knew that about that passage. Well, that's what happens to me. I prepare to, I-, I look at the text. I think, well, this is what I see. And then I write down the particular doctrines and applications. And I say, well, you know what? There's more here. And there's more here. And then the-, the-, the sermons expand and expand. But this is the original. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is really, this is where I get the text. This is, this is the, I'm going I'm to use verse 9 really as our guiding text. And it's going to be something of a thematic sermon. It is coming from the text, so it's a textual sermon. But it's going to be a thematic sermon. It's going to be on the business of, along the lines of this man in Macedonia, calling out to Paul, come over and help us. So we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the, um, well, Again, we'll look at more than two, but the two things expressed by that call are the neediness of man and the provision or the graciousness of God. We're going to look at those things, but it's that call, come over and help us. And I don't know if anybody ever looks at the church Facebook. I think the algorithms or whatever, it's like two guys named Fred and a house cat get to see it. Like in the beginning, when you open up your Facebook, a bazillion people see it. And then after that, two people see it. I don't know why they do that, but they do that. So if you're one of the two people, I go hunting to put, I I publish what we're going to do for the Lord's Day before the Lord's Day. And so I mashed in on the computer looking for some, you know, I don't know, pithy saying for this, Um, come over and help us. I mash in, come over and help us. I know I'm going to find Acts um, 16, verse 9. But then a little emblem popped up, and it caught my eye being a New Englander by birth, um, Massachusetts, um, the the original seal of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, um, 1629, uses this phrase, come over and help us. I don't know the phraseology now that we would use, but it would be an indigenous person, I think if that's correct. The indigenous person in this seal is saying with these words, come over and help us. And I, I said, I'll use that. I'll put that in the church. Then I thought, I better not put that in the church thing because I don't know how things work now and it could be misconstrued. But it was interesting that I was reading people commenting like the New York Times and other things. This comes from the Gospels. This comes from here. This comes from there. And they see, and, and this was even, they were guessing that it wasn't a biblical statement. And I'm yelling back at the computer, no, this, is, this, is, this comes from Acts So we're going to look at the business of this man in Macedonia calling to the Apostle Paul, saying, come over and help us. And notice he includes himself in that, for himself as a Macedonian and all of his Macedonian um, fellow citizens. The The way that I want to come at this is I want to look at the form of the revelation. In this case, it's a dream. And then we'll look at the content uh, of the revelation, what it's being taught. And I mentioned the twofold division, the neediness of man, the provision of God. That's the content. But we learn, we learn a lot. I probably can, I don't know if I will preach a whole sermon on the form of revelation, but I, I think we can, there, there's a lot here, believe it or not. So the form of revelation is obviously a dream. Uh, the Apostle Paul has this dream and we're taught a number of things. So this is going to be super basic. We're just going to unpeel the onion. What do we look... Everything in the Bible, the Bible says, is written for our instruction. There's nothing arbitrary. That's a fancy word that means willy-nilly. So if God says something in the Bible, it's there for a good reason. So an infinitely holy and an infinitely wise and an infinitely good God put it in the Bible. When you read genealogies, think, what in the world? Why would the, you have these genealogies? Hard names... I first heard my minister preach the most amazing sermon from a genealogy. I'd never, I used to see people jump over genealogies. Pastor Hobbes got to Matthew and preached the genealogy of Christ. What's he going to do here? It was glorious. Truth after truth after truth. So there's nothing arbitrary. So when God says there was a dream, even that form of revelation is important for us. And I'm using that term, revelation. This is God revealing himself to man. He's showing us what he wants us to believe about himself, the nature of God, his attributes, his power, his works, thus that we would worship him. And then he also shows us that he wants to be known by man. So this is a, this is a, an expression of God's self-revealing. Um if God did not determine to reveal himself to, to man, we would never know man. I want you to think of like the, the smallest little bug crawling around on the ground. Does that bug know you? Know you, know you? No, except they think that you might step on them. It's impossible. The chasm between you as a human and the bug as a bug is so great, the bug can't know you. But the chasm from God to man is even greater, but God wants to be known. So when he reveals himself, it's always a condescending, gracious revealing. If he didn't do it, we would not know him. So this is is teaching us, as Paul concluded rightly, this is from God. So this dream is an expression or a revelation from God. And again, this is super basic. And I I think everyone in this room this morning will believe this, I I hope, but I don't know that. The other day I preached a sermon, and we had lots of new people, and some of the people came to me and said, hey, my friends disagreed with what you said. And I said, yeah, I could see on their face that they were not buying what I was selling. And it's super plain vanilla. Jesus is the Christ, the way, the truth, and life, the Bible is the word of God, no one gets to heaven but by Christ. Uh, I don't think so. So, some of these basic truths, I think, are necessary for us to hear the ABCs again. And if someone who we love says, well, I don't really believe the ABCs. Here are some of the ABCs. When God the Holy Spirit says to Paul, this dream is from God, this is a revelation from God, that requires, basically, that God is. Uh, I watched a, I've been watching documentaries on Anne. Rand, I know I'm mispronouncing her name, and I'm trying to figure out why, why she's so attractive to Bible-believing conservative Christians. She, she was an atheist, and I, I'm listening to her, and I finally had to shut her off, because her expressions of atheism are so vehement, they're so passionate, and she says, I hate the people that come up with the concept of God, like, hey, 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 I can't even listen to this anymore, And I said back to the computer, a fool says in their hearts, there is no God. The Bible says, God is. This dream says to every atheist, even if they're your brother-in-law, or your mom, or your dad, they're wrong. There is objective truth. I know we live in day when everything is subjective except our subjective, so-called subjective truth. There is objective truth. This revelation teaches us that God exists. And not only that God exists, and all forms of atheism are wrong, that the God of the Bible, and this is what gets us into a pickle, the God of the Bible, he alone is God. That this God is God. My father-in-law, who is a Hindu, said to me many years ago, so who made light? And he wanted to play a religious game, which I like, because it's not a game to me. It's an opportunity for me to share Christ. And he said, oh, that's easy, Papa G. My God made light. He said, your God. Yes, the true and the living God made light. The God of the Bible. Every other God is false, and the, only the God of the Bible is true. He was playing along with me, but I'm sharing truth. This is what this teaches, that God is, atheism is wrong, that the God of the Bible alone is God. And I said this is the ABCs, even if you as the mother or the father or the grandmother or the grandfather as a professing Christian believe this, I'm going to tell you something about your children and your grandchildren. They don't many times. We live in a time where subjectivism is held to be at the zenith. You may be orthodox. But we don't realize that our kids and our grandchildren are not orthodox. They don't believe this. They think it's wrong to believe the exclusive claims, the God of the Bible, the Christ of the Bible, is the only God. But that's what this is teaching. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, this God, must believe that he is And he is a rewarder of those that seek him. I'm not picking on folks that are atheists. I'm not picking on people that don't believe this. I didn't believe this for most of my life. I was an unbeliever until I was 26. But the unbeliever is not the standard or the litmus test for truth. The Bible is the standard. And so the Bible shows us this revelation is from God. As I mentioned, this is God revealing himself to man. And in this revelation, which is what apocalypse means, apocalypse, which is the book of Revelation, in Greek is apocalypse. It means revealing. And God reveals himself variously, predominantly in two ways, but this is one of the ways in this dream. Read, um, I hope you've read the Psalms. I hope you've read the entire Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22. I hope you've read it all. If you haven't, set that as a challenge to yourself to read the whole Bible, cover to cover. But if you've never read the Bible before, if I could just interject a pastorally, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John like 10 times and then go read the book of Romans and then you can go back and start Genesis. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 10 times, Romans 10 times, then you can start from the beginning and, and go read. So no extra charge for that. But if you read the Psalms, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the what? The glory of God. So, there are two modes of revelation that are being expressed by, of God to man in the book of Psalm 19. One through six is what we call natural revelation. Seven to the end, we call special or redemptive or salvific revelation, Bible. So in nature, when you look at a sunset, when you look at your wife giving birth to your baby, I watched both of my children get born. Inside of this woman... God has given the ability for the woman and the man to come together. It's only men and women that can produce the baby. Shocking, I know. There's a little human being in there. And that little human being comes out. You see that even pagan is opposed. You think, that's pretty amazing. This is pretty amazing. You go to the Grand Canyon. You go out in the ocean. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens say God is. He's powerful. He's wise. And he's good. This is Paul's argument to even the heathen in Acts chapter 14. Do you have crops? Yes. Do you have food? Yes. Do you have children you get to love on? Yes. That's the goodness of God, the testimony of God. This is God revealing himself. When someone says there's not enough evidence for God, even saying that, even are you walking on God's dirt? Are you talking with God's mouth? Are you looking at God's creation? Everything has God's stamp. I made this on it, everything. Romans 1, Romans 2... They deny it, but it's everywhere. The second part of God's revelation is the Bible, where God reveals himself not just as creator to creatures, but God reveals himself as a savior. What kind of folks need saving? What kind of folks need saving? Sinners need saving. I've been here 22 years in January, and on the first year, a guy came to me, among many things. He was giving me helpful criticism in the form of a kick in his shins. And he said, do you think people are going to come to this church? You talk about sin and hell, and how are you going to grow this church? So you need to stop this sin and hell business. I remember thinking, if I can't talk about sin, how about those Red Sox? Because if I can't talk about sin, who else can I talk about? Jesus. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. <laughs> Jesus is the atonement for sins. He's the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to a supper. He's the sin bearer. He's the sin atoner. If you take away the ability to talk about sin, then you just have a club. It may, it may say Christian church. You just have a soup kitchen. You try to do social change. But it's not a Christian church. It's just a club that's called a church. So, the, the Bible reveals God as Savior to sinners. And the the, the the further modes of God revealing himself to sinners as a Savior, we see it here. In dreams, in visions, and then as put in the Bible. Now, I'm going to show my cards. Obviously, I'm a Protestant. I was raised Roman Catholic. I became a Protestant. My father said if it wasn't for that blasted Martin Luther... I'd still be in the true church. He and I differed on that till the day he died. He was very angry that I left what he considered to be the true church. So I was a Roman Catholic, but now I'm conscientiously a Protestant, and not to scare anybody, but of the Puritan stripe. Presbyterians are, if they're honest, of the Puritan stripe. And so we believe a doctrine called sola scriptura, that once the last apostle died, which I think is the Apostle Paul, and the, the final book, all 27 books of the New Testament were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is done. So no more Bob out in the wheat field going, what's that, God? Do you want me to stick a book onto the book of Revelation? So none of that. So that, this is a Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. We're not there yet. So there are more books to be inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. I used to be an other kind of Christian than what I am now. And so at the time, I thought, well, God is still doing. Well, look at Paul is doing. Paul is getting dreams and visions. We still get dreams and visions like this. I don't think so. So we are not at the conclusion of the apostolic era with the death of the apostle. We're not at the conclusion of the inspiration of the total canon of scripture. There are more books to be inspired. I believe, and this is, you're going to say, well, pastor, you're expressing what's known as cessationism. Yes, I am a cessationist. Here in this time that we're looking at, Paul is, God is still giving dreams and visions redemptive, how he saves sinners. And it's not exclusively in the Bible. But once the Bible has been completely inspired, I believe that God no longer reveals himself savingly through those dreams and visions in this kind of a way. And I have to kind of put it in this kind of a way. <clears throat> In a, in a perfect, divinely inspired kind of way. In other words, tack it on to scripture. So scripture is completed. The Bible says don't add or take away from it. I don't mean that God the Holy Spirit is not still impressing upon our minds and hearts the truth of scripture. I don't mean that. So if someone says, I think the Holy Spirit it has impressed this text upon me or this truth of the scripture upon me, of course he does that. But that's not the same thing as thus saith the Lord. Does that make sense? So we're still in that particular epoch where God is revealing himself salvifically as a savior to sinners in this way. But uh, that would be one of the reasons why when someone says, I have a thus saith the Lord dream or vision, I myself run for the hills. Um, but I am not against, I've had this happen many a times. When I was a carpet cleaner, there were many occasions where I felt the Holy Spirit would want me to to witness the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to people that who's in homes I was in. So He still does that, but it's different than inspiring. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. When God reveals Himself to man that He is the God of the Bible is what else is He saying? You know what a deist is? A deist. You know what a deist is? A lot of the early founders of America were deists. There were some early founders that were true Orthodox, Bible-believing Christians. Then there were other deists. I think it was Glenn, it was, um, Ben Franklin may have been just a heathen, but um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, I believe, was a deist. And I said this one time, and a guy at the, met me at the, oh, he was spitting mad. So I think he's a deist. You can check this on, what's the reliable source? Wikipedia? I'm just kidding. just I'm just kidding. So, deists believe this that God is a cosmic creator. He he creates creation, then he winds it up with natural law, and then he goes off on vacation. He's not interested in what you do, he's just off taking a break. That's deism. And then you keep the natural laws, and basically, if there is a heaven, you work yourself in, but God doesn't really care. He's he's not intimate with creation. What does this text teach us? He's super intimate. He's super intimate, that he is a God who is near and not a God who is far off. Jesus says before he sends to the Father, "And lo, I am what? I'm with you to the end of the age." And then Hebrews chapter 13, "I am always with you. Always, always, always. This text teaches us that God is, the God of the Bible is, and that the God of the Bible is intimate. He's near to us. He reveals himself to us in this way. God is not a disinterested God. It's a lie from the devil. If you, if you are a believer, you're a child of God, you're loved by Christ, and someone says, well, God doesn't care about your little picky even problems. You have kids. I used to think this. When my kids hit 18 years old, well, you know what? Me and my wife are going to be like girlfriend and boyfriend. Kids are off doing whatever they're doing. I'm just going to live large. We're not worrying about a thing after they hit 18. Guess what? I'm going I'm to drop over dead worrying about those kids. They're going to be 90. I'm going to still be worried about them. What person is it intimately tied in the life of their children? That's our God. He's intimate in the lives of his people. And then what we learn here is God can take a man and speak to one man. I think this is a Macedonian. It is a Macedonian man, whether he's a real man or a visionary man. And then speak to another man. He speaks to one guy in Macedonia. He speaks to another guy, Paul, in Troas. And he has, he has them un- hear the revelation. What does that also reflect about the nature of our God? Presbyterians are Reformed Calvinistic people. I hate to use all those hyphens. Sometimes you use this word, it begins with S. God is what? Sovereign. Sovereign, sovereign. And all sovereign means is just a fancy mean word that means God is the boss. He's Lord. And a lot of Christians allow God to be like little Lord. Allow God. There's a church, I've used it many times before, they said, we declare the year to be the year of God's sovereignty. I'm like, wow, God must be in heaven going, wow, thank you for, thank you for letting me be sovereign for a whole year, and if you didn't tell me, I guess I'd be up at the creek and I wouldn't be able to do anything. Sovereign means sovereign, sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. And this is where someone would say, what about the free will of man? What about the free will of man? So here's my rejoinder to that. Does God have free will? What do you think? What about the free will of man? Does God have free will? And now here's my question. Whose will is primary? Whose will wins? If God says, well, you know what? This is what I would like. And if man says back to God, you know what, God? I don't think I would like that. Who wins? What do you think? there was a guy once he was a king and he was an oriental king an ancient oriental king and meaning not like a president who has to do whatever he has to do this guy had power of life and death i do what i do because i'm the boss and he's walking around in his castle one day saying look at all this good stuff i built it for my glory and god had already told his prophet tell this guy not to say that or else he's going to humility 101 class and he's about to go to find out who god is and find out who man is class. Remember? And God said to Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, you're going to go eat grass for seven years. No clothes. You're going to go live out in the, on the grass for seven years, eating grass like a cow. Then I'm going to restore your reason to you. And At the end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, what does Nebuchadnezzar say? God does whatever he wants. The Bible says in the book of, so it was when you come here and say, are you saying that God could move the will of a man in Macedonia if it's a real man? Or God can move the will of the Apostle Paul? Many years ago, many years ago, maybe 20, a young woman, we used to, I used to teach a Wednesday class in the back room back there. And she had come in from her theology class at PCC. And she said, you know, my my Professor said to me, isn't it amazing that God is sovereign and can do anything except move the will of a man? I want you to think about that. Let me read something to you. Bible, Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God's God and we're not. Can he say to a guy in Macedonia, okay, you start crying in your dream. Can he say to another guy in Troas, you start receiving in your dream. Yeah, he can. I believe, I've been a Christian since I was 26. I'll be 59 here pretty quick. Our view of God, even as believers, is way small. It's way small. When does our view of God start to grow a little bit bigger? When? When we're on the mountaintop? when we're in the valley. Oh, Jesus, don't leave me. Oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Jesus, please. Beloved, we all need bigger views of God. You listen to these guys. I listen to the woman, Anne Rand, super smart woman, spitting mad that God is God. Spitting mad that God is God. No, God is God over Anne Rand. God is God over the man in Macedonia. God is God over Paul. God is God. God, God. In his plans. Now, the whole discussion of free will and free agency, that's a long discussion. That's a long discussion. I'll throw to you, uh, we have a whole chapter on the free will of man in our confession. Chapter 9, I think, paragraph 1 through 5. Read it with the Bible proofs. But I know this. God's will is primary. God does not lose anything. God's working out his purposes the way that he wants. Now, let's look at the content of the call. So in the content, we have one man, verse 9, he's in Macedonia. He's standing, appealing to Paul in a dream. Come over to Macedonia and help us. What does that teach us? We, I, my wife and I have two children, 35 and 33, I think. And then we have four grandsons from eight to one-year-old or something like that. A little bitsy. When you're teaching a little bitsy to walk, you know, da da da, da. Oftentimes, the little bitsy will do what to mama's hand or something. You know, I can do this. I don't need anyone to help me. Except they're, they're needy for everything. They can't even clean themselves. They're needy for everything. But inside of a man is, I am the master of my own destiny. Remember that awful poem? That awful poem, Invictus. James Henley something or other. He, he wrote a poem, Invictus. Unconquerable. Yeah which the guy who bombed the Oklahoma-whatever-bombed read the poem just as they killed him uh, uh, in capital punishment. Invictus is an obnoxious poem. If you read it, it says, man, defyingly to God, I don't even need you. I don't need anyone. I don't need the help of anyone. This text teaches us the real nature of man. We're needy. You have a man who does not have, And he says to another man that he thinks has what? Help me. People don't like to ask for help because what does that put them in? What kind of position does it put them in? If you can't and you go to another that can and you say, I can't, you can help. What position do you hold in front of that person? The subordinate. We don't use these terms anymore because they're not politically correct or what. I don't know why. We just can't even talk. We just can't even talk. It puts, us in the, it puts us in the position of the inferior, and I don't mean ontologically. I mean economically, not, jo- not money, but, but position, power, ability. We're in the inferior position, and we're coming to another person, and we're, we're, we're speaking to that person as holding a superior position to us. People cannot deal with that. We can't, even Christians. I have to humble myself before you, you nudnik. I have to say, I can't, and you, you can help me, or I don't. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I maintain this. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, I'm the self-made man, Horatio Alger story. No one ultimately is a self-made man. I'm not against bootstraps. I'm not against all that. I was raised on all that. My dad was the Mr. Bootstraps but we're always needy. You come out of your mama needy. You ever watch anybody die? We, we start the process needy. We live the whole life needy. Except when you're 18 to 25, you don't think you're needy, but you're just a knucklehead. You're needy, needy, needy. And then the older you get, what happens? I can't hear, can't see, can't walk, can't talk. Please change my diaper. Needy coming in. Needy going throughout, needy leading. Man is a needy creature. And, 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 and this is something else that we're being taught. We're always dependent. My son joined the military, and I remember when he was young, like young, and he went through some phases of like, eh, these, you and mom have these rules in the house, and blah, 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 blah. I can't wait to get out of the house, and I won't have to submit to rules. Okay. Join the army. No rules in the army. Not only are we always needy, we're always dependent. Always. That This is a general lesson. And another thing about the dependence, God is revealing to us that he has made, God has made human beings to be communal creatures. We're communal. No one's a rock. No one's an island. No one's created to be by themselves. Um, we're created to need one another. We only function... When we're in society with other people, family, church, state. This is a first Corinthians chapter twelve. Everyone needs someone else to meet those needs. And God has so created society and certainly the church, which is the body of Christ. Why do you have poor people in the church? So the rich people in the church have somebody to help. Why do you have rich people in the church? So they can help the poor people that are in the church. We're like this. This is a Romans twelve or first Corinthians twelve. So there are, there are people like Paul that knows. There are people like this Macedonia man that knows he doesn't know. But he knows that Paul does know. We're taught in our society, even like, and even this happens for us Bible-believing Christians, to hate the rich people, to hate people in authority. I was a carpet cleaner for 10 years. I never hated rich people. Why? Because poor people don't pay to get their carpets cleaned. And that's how I ate money. That's how I fed my family. So you don't look at someone and say, you lousy this, you lousy, because you hold her superior. No, 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 no. God is so ordained. Remember we talked about God, God? Like God, God. If you have, in part the reason you have is to give to the people that don't have. Do you know Christ? Part of the reason you know Christ is to give Christ away to people that don't know Christ. And we all and we all occupy those kind of inferior, equal, superior positions all over the place. I've said this many times before. My mom is dead now. But if my mother was here, am I my would I be a subordinate or an inferior to my mother? Until the day I died. She would be my superior. To the day I died, my mother would be someone was talking about the other day about things with mothers and so on. I'm thinking, even if I thought what my mother was wrong, I would never like she's my mother. She's my mother. You, you out of your mind? She's here. This is, even Solomon gets off the, the throne, and he does what before his mom? He's the king. He bows down to his mom. But if my mother wanted to join the church, and I was her pastor, I even, it's even weird to say this, I would be her superior. <laughs> because I would be her church leader. It would be a weird deal, and I'm glad it never happened. But, so we occupy these places variously, but we're taught that man is a needy creature he's a dependent creature and he is a communal creature and this is one of the reasons i'll just say this this is no extra charge for this we live in strange times i I suppose it's always been strange times there are people gobs of people i am a christian don't get me wrong do you read the bible no i don't actually read the bible do you pray no i don't actually pray either do you go to church of any stripe no i actually don't go to church but don't get me wrong i'm a good christian if the Bible is our rule, and the Bible says about people that are Christians, don't forsake the what? I think I know Hebrews ten. We're communal. If you say, "Well, I'm going to take a break and stay in home, watch the Hour of Power at the house," unless you're sick, don't, because I need you and you need me. And the other, the, the, the principal thing, the principal need that this is expressive of, is what I mentioned earlier. When he says to Paul, Paul, come over and help us. What kind of help does he want? Does he want money or food? What does he want? He wants Christ. The greatest need human beings have is not education, is not food, is not opportunity. I'm not picking on any of those things. I'm not picking on any of those things. But that's not what this guy is calling for. This guy is saying to Paul in the dream, come help us with our sin need. Come help us with our sin need. You know the answer to our sin problem, our sin need. Come and help us. Come and tell us the gospel. If I were to ask you this question, what is sin? What is sin? How would you answer that? Even in your head. I know this is, it is supposed to be dialogical, but it's kind of monologue with me, but I want you to be dialoguing with me in your head. What is sin? I, I, was, I went to AA for many years. Everybody in my family went to AA. We're, we're all like devotees of AA until I became a, a born-again Christian. But in AA, we would say this phrase. Now, if you know any drunks or drug addicts, drunks and drug addicts come with lots of other sins attached to it, if you know they would say this we're not bad people trying to get good we're sick people trying to get well lying stealing cheating all those kind of things bad or good bad it's all sin why'd you steal from your mother because i'm a sinner why'd you get drunk and hit it with a whiskey bottle because i'm a sinner So we're not good people. We're bad people trying to get good or sick people trying to get well. We're sinners. And if you use the sin word, I'm going to tell you something. You'll have five people in a house cat in your church. You say sinners. And the Bible defines for us what sin is in 1 John chapter 3. Sin is lawlessness. Oh boy, howdy. You're going to talk about the law? This is what this guy is saying. Help us, Paul. We are lawbreakers. No one believes the Ten Commandments anymore. Cats are cats, and dogs are marrying cats and salamanders. We don't believe any of that anymore. But God's word doesn't change. It doesn't matter who believes what's what. What's true is true. So if God says, here's my moral law, only me, only spiritual worship, don't abuse my day, don't abuse my name, honor father and mother, honor authority, don't kill anybody. Lawfully preserve life. Don't be, have the sexual cleanness of a, of a tomcat. D- don't steal stuff. Don't abuse someone's name. Don't covet. There you go. There you go. And what do we do? Jesus says the greatest law of God, of God is what? Love God perfectly. And what's the next greatest law? Love people. Do we love people in this country? I know I'm dating myself. 59. I grew up right outside of Boston. We, we slept with the doors unlocked, with the, with the screen door, just the screen door. In my short life, you would never in a million years sleep with your door open with the screen door. We didn't lock our cars. We didn't do any of that. And I, this isn't Opie. I'm not talking Opie. We didn't live in Opie. But I feel like Opie. We're sinners. And what does he want, Paul? What is it about sin that's that creates the need. What's the wages of sin? The divine wage for sin. Death. If, if you don't believe the bad news about us, you're never going to believe in the biblical Jesus, ever. You're gonna, if you believe in a Jesus, it's a Jesus of... To use the phrase of AA, the God of your own understanding. Huh, isn't that a Genesis 3? You can be God's. You don't have to be. The, listen to the God God. You can be God. You can make up what God is. You can be your own God. Do false Christs save you when you die from going to hell? No, they really don't. And see, the, the, this is what this guy wants to be freed from. I hate to even say it. Because people are like, okay, you hit me with sin. Now you're going to hit me with the wages of sin? which is eternal death. It's not the absence of God. You can't have the absence of an omnipresent God. And he's immutable. He's unchangeable. It's the absence of the friendly presence of God. Hell is the presence of the offended presence of God. That's what it is. So you think, well, you are saying that this guy is saying, come Paul, tell us how to be free from the wages of our sin, which is hell. Tell us about Christ. I hate to say it, but that's exactly what he's praying. That's what he wants. If you're a Bible reader, then you'll know what I'm telling you is true. If you're not a Bible reader, I want you to be a Bible reader so you know it's true. Jesus spoke about eternal hell more than any prophet, any apostle, combined. Combined. There's going to be a line someday And there's only going to be two kind of folk in it. We're either going to be wearing sheep suits or goat suits. And you're going to be a sheep, a lover of Christ, and you're going to hear, come. Or if you're a goat, what are you going to hear? Depart from me. Eternal for sin. Now, you're going to say, well, Pastor John, this sounds like sinners in the hands of an angry God. What do you think you are, Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards was not the guy that most people think. Most people think sinners in the hands of an angry God is Jonathan Edwards screaming like this. Jonathan Edwards barely didn't even eat. This dude was walking around as a a beanpole. He was super intellectual, super monotone. He read his sermons very quiet, very cerebral. He was not a screaming Mimi the way that people make him look. And if you read the corpus of his writing, he didn't focus on hell. But that was one sermon in one church in Enfield, Connecticut. He said, the Bible does say this. And so when we beat our breast and say, thou son of David, have mercy on me, Jesus, that's what we're asking for. And I, I'm going to say something, and you may disagree with me. This is my view. Unless we understand what that guy understands, the greatest need we have is to have our sin reconciled to have our sin cleansed and removed before God. Unless we understand that, we will never, ever truly believe in Jesus. Never, never. And it, this is my belief. I believe most people live and die never believing they have that need. Never. I think people, most people live and die eat, drink, and be merry, marrying, giving in marriage the kids, the grandkids, the job, the da ba da ba da ba da ba da da Luke 14, Luke 12, Luke 17. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes back, it's going to be like Noah. So busy. Should God be feared? If you had this problem, Of being a guilty sinner before a holy God. If you had this problem, and I came to you and said, I know the one who can answer that need, what would you say? Praise God. But if you didn't believe, what would you say? I got stuff to do. I'm going to close with this. There was a guy, he became a slaver. He was raised by a godly mother in England a long time ago. And he decided he wanted to marry his girlfriend named Mary. And the father said, you can't marry my daughter until you become something respectable and make something out of yourself. So he became a slaver, a ship's captain in a, of a slave ship. And the father said, OK, that's respectable. And uh, you can marry my daughter. And one day, coming back from Africa uh, with, a, with a boat filled with slaves, he got in a storm. He was raised by a godly mother who told him the gospel. And he decided, I don't believe my mama. And when he was in Africa doing his business, he decided, I'm going to live like the biggest pagan. If I'm going to be a pagan, he sacrificed to the moon. He did lots of other crazy things. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I'm going to be the best unbeliever I can be. But mama raised him in the faith with this. Comes back. He's in a great storm. And he's fixing to what? Die. And what did that storm teach him? You are not ready. You are not ready to die. You have a soul need. You have a sin need. And what happened to him? The religion, the Christ of his mother came flooding back to him. It was the storm that showed John Newton, I have a need. I am a sinner. Only Christ provides for the need. But he does. Beloved, that's our holy faith. We are needy people. Our God is so gracious that he meets that need forever. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.